More people come into this country via airplane travel than over on our borders. So when we have people coming in and yet we are not paying TSA agents in the airports, safety is compromised. Stay tuned. That's just part of what's ahead in our bonus content following this week's edition of In Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spear. I have the absolute right to declare a national emergency. Still, the president saying Friday he won't be doing that, at least for now, as the government's shutdown stretches into its fourth week. Day 23, the longest shutdown in U.S. history. We're learning more about the Indiana impact today as we talk with lawmakers on both sides of the aisle. And we start with my conversation with Indiana Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun. The president, I think, rightly uh, underscored in his national address this week uh, the importance of securing our border for the purposes of our own domestic security, for humanitarian purposes. The president says he absolutely has the right to declare a national emergency. Do you agree? Well, let's look at the declaration of it, and is it a national crisis? Uh, I think when you've had decades of a border being abused and breached, uh, it is a crisis. Uh, crisis, an emergency, it needs to be fixed. And I am a big believer that legal immigration is important, and if you've got uh, a border that's just consistently being breached, uh, it's now time to try to fix it. And the thing that disappoints me is what the president is asking is not any different from what most Democrats that have been here agreed to very recently. So you'd support an emergency declaration if, if he went that route? I, I am hoping that it doesn't go there. Uh, you can see the president uh, it, it ran on this, and I think for most Hoosiers, uh, they're bought in that uh, border security is a big deal. And I think most, uh, especially throughout the heartland, uh, feel the same way. And uh, I, like I say, I hope it doesn't go there. But uh, I think if there's no movement on the part of the Democrats to do at least what they said they do uh, so recently ago, that uh, who knows, could go into the courts. Again, I think that's kind of a calamity. Uh, why should we need to go there when uh, it should be fixed otherwise? It obviously is uh, the legislative pro uh, branch's prerogative uh, to have uh, control over the purse. That's one of the things we do. But uh, in the near term and uh, here and now, what I'm focused on uh, is making sure exactly what the president is, is trying to make sure of, which is that we secure that border in conjunction with opening up the government as soon as possible. This bill that, that you've proposed would force lawmakers to go without pay during a shutdown like the one we're seeing now. Congressman Carson recently told me, I don't want to see anyone lose their pay. He, he says these proposals often get introduced by members of Congress who can afford to take a pay cut. What's your response to that? And what's been the reaction overall to your proposal? Well, for, first of all, it would you'd have plenty of time to prepare for it. So uh, my bill would be, uh, if it makes it through the gauntlet, that at the end of the fiscal year, if you've not put a budget together, uh, anybody in Congress shouldn't get a paycheck. So it's not like it would sneak up on you. Um, and I believe that, you know, in any, I come from a functional state government in Indiana, and, you know, we just got things done. I appreciate what the congressman said, but I think if you're here and you got a year to prepare for it, 
you need to get a budget out in regular order, or we need to start putting some penalties on the people that are here that don't get the job done. We've been speaking with local businesses impacted by the shutdown and with a TSA worker who, who's concerned about her pay. What is your message to her and to other Hoosiers impacted by this shutdown who can't afford to go without that paycheck? Well, I don't like that. Uh, no system should run to where uh, you, you shut your business down, so to speak. What is your message for Hoosiers who are, who are in that situation now? Call all your representatives uh, call uh, our offices. I'm already persuaded that uh, this is something we need to resolve, uh, you know, post-haste uh, today. Uh, finally, I want to ask you about the, the Mueller probe. It's nearing a conclusion. Some reports this week that Paul Manafort may have shared polling data with a Russian contact. Are you concerned this report might indeed produce some evidence of collusion? Tell you what, I've heard so much since the Mueller investigation started uh, that this is going to be the straw that uh, breaks the camel's back. And I'm really uh, anxious for it to conclude and uh, don't know where it's going to lead. Uh, there have been other things of that same magnitude that uh, haven't come forth to actually impact the president on the issue of uh, collusion with the Russians. So uh, I think this is part of a litany of what we've heard for many, many months. And I think uh, not only for Hoosiers, but for the American public, it needs to be brought to a conclusion. All right. We also discussed the shutdown with several other Indiana lawmakers, including Congressman Andre Carson, who spoke with our Matt Smith. This idea to start passing individual appropriations to reopen individual agencies, is that something you support, I'm assuming? And does that go anywhere after after the House votes on it? Well, I think it's certainly a, a, a smarter strategy instead of allowing President Trump to essentially hold the American people hostage with this very mediocre extortion attempt. Look, we were sent to Congress uh, to represent the American people, to do what's right on their behalf, whether Republican or Democratic. And I think that's what the expectation is. I think the founding fathers were clearly brilliant in setting up three separate but equal branches of government. So the president, who initially committed to funding the government or signing on a continuing resolution or a CR until uh, early February, reneged on his promise and here's where we are. He's obsessed with this border wall. I think there are other ways to talk about the matter, but it's clear that over 5,000 Hoosiers will be impacted and are impacted because of this shutdown. I don't support any funding bill that doesn't meet the criteria that the president has laid out. Now is the time to get this done, and I, I stand with President Trump in demanding that uh, this deal include border security funding. Is there any way you see yourself supporting any funding for a border wall if a compromise is worked out and that is included? I have I have stated um, repeatedly that I support more border patrol agents. I support greater investments in technology. Um, but to build a wall, um, a 2,000 mile wall, I think is uh, misguided. I think it's inappropriate and, and Trump is obsessed with speaking to his base, keeping this 
this, this fragile campaign promise, and he's not thinking about the government workers who are impacted, who have to pay mortgages, who have to send their kids through school, who are thinking about their own livelihood. We're we're, I'm thinking about those over 5,000 Hoosiers in the state of Indiana who are currently impacted because of this shutdown. I can't get obsessed about a wall. I'm more concerned about continuing to fund the government in the immediate future. Where does this go? Where do you see an end game in terms of reopening the government? Well, Republicans are frustrated. Uh, Democrats are certainly frustrated. The American people are frustrated. We're seeing buyer's remorse from those who supported Donald Trump, especially those government workers who supported President Trump. I think what he's doing is reckless. It's irresponsible. Uh, my appeal is, President Trump, let's fund the government. Let's get those Hoosier uh, government workers and those American government workers back to work, have them paid. We're even seeing stories of TSA agents who are threatening to go on strike or even outright quit. That is a threat to our national security. If he's concerned about national security, it should end today. All right. This week, I also spoke with Indiana Congressman Trey Hollingsworth about the shutdown and about his proposal for term limits in Congress. Well, look, I'm hopeful that this gets resolved as quickly as possible. Hoosiers deserve two things. One, they deserve a government that is fully funded, open, and serving Americans, but they also deserve a government that spends their hard-earned tax money reflecting the values that matter most to them. All right, term limits. You've got a bill you're working on that would put in place term limits uh, for members of Congress. Absolutely. And that can be a, a fairly popular thing to propose, but it, it, is it realistic? This has uh, met, been met with a lot of pushback uh, in Congress before. Well, look, it's met with a lot of pushback from members of Congress, but it's met with a lot of support from Hoosiers across the district and from Americans generally. I continue to read poll after poll that says 74% of Americans, not 74% of Republicans, not 74% of Democrats, but 74% of Americans believe Washington is broken, not working for them, and that they want a Washington that reflects their values through term limits. All right, much more coverage on the government shutdown on our website. We'll also talk more about the shutdown on the InFocus podcast, now available on Spotify along with iTunes, Android, and just about anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, up next, we're just two days away from the governor's State of the State address. This past week, he unveiled his plan for the state budget. So what will it mean for Indiana schools? And we'll hear from the state lawmaker who just announced his plans to run against the mayor of Indianapolis. Stick around. There will be no deal without a wall. There will be no deal without the priorities the president has put on the table. Well, as the government shutdown continues today, we're talking about the Indiana impact of all of this. Let's bring in our panel right now. Democratic strategist Robin Winston, two former state lawmakers, Republican Mike Murphy, Democrat Christina Hale, and 2016 vice chair of the Indiana Trump campaign, Tony Samuel. Robin, I'm going to start with you here. Anybody giving an inch in this fight? No, I don't think anybody's going to because they're all ramped up on both sides. You know, the president's been in office for a long time, and now it boils down to this is the crux of the decision of whether or not we move our nation ahead on, the water, on, on building the wall. Uh, today's the first day that federal employees didn't get their paychecks. That means that people in the Coast Guard are being told to have garage sales and things like that 
to supplement their income. This is crazy. It's now the longest shutdown in U.S. history. The president saying Friday he doesn't want to do a national emergency right now. That kind of proved to be a difficult question for some in the Senate to answer. Senators Young and Braun uh, deflected on that somewhat on that topic. Well, I think that this week is a pretty critical time because this is the week that the uh, Agriculture Department sends the note, so to speak, or pushes the button to restock all the SNAP cards, and I'm simplifying this. But if they don't get it done this week, I think by the 15th or 16th, then it's very difficult to have money in people's SNAP card accounts for February 1st, and then there is no money for these people. So. Something has to happen this week. We've been talking to federal workers here uh, from Indiana impacted by this. What do Democrats do? What do Republicans do to, to find common ground here? Well, it's been a gigantic game of chicken, hasn't it? You know, and it seems like nobody is really blinking. But to Robin's point earlier, too, if we are just, say, thinking about our borders, as our president has been, consider the Coast Guard. They're not getting their paychecks, and yet they are charged with patrolling our borders we're saying, um, on the one hand, the president believes that this is one of the most critical issues facing us now, and yet we're not funding the people that are out there to protect us. Um, we're going to have to compromise and soon, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that happens. What's the end game here for the president, and does he stand to take much of the blame politically? Well, depends who you ask. Uh, depends what news channel you're watching. Um, it's unfortunate that there's a shutdown and that, that folks aren't getting paid. Nobody wants that. Um, but this problem has, has gone on since the early 2000s or longer. Uh, there's a need for, for uh, border security, for uh, a barrier. Um, I'm gonna, what the president did uh, that was great this week, he talked about, he stuck with the facts, he stuck with the statistics, and that's winning the Christina's public over. Christina's giving you a face there. Well, many well, of those facts have facts been quite challenged, but, but let's, I let's, think. Let's, let me read off just a few real quick. 235,000 violations of the law by illegal aliens in the U.S., 4,000 of those homicides, 30,000 sex crimes, 100,000 violent assaults. There have also been those statistics referring to terrorists at the border. The vice president echoes Absolutely. Again, and how about the statistics that we have? So we, we have are... to get serious about this. This, this, it's, it's too bad that there's a shutdown right now. But uh, I think he's winning with the public because they know that he's trying to protect their Well, state. more people buy a plane ticket to fly into this country and outstay their visas. There's all it's kinds been, of, there's all yeah, kinds of things that have to be done. We have to fix the visa problem. We have to use more technology. Uh, there, we have That's to use drones. That's not a visa problem, but, but now we've got but, TSA but not being have, paid. You have people that are getting killed, that are being killed by drunk drivers, killed by MS-13, and those folks are coming across and the And again, border. is there going to be any kind of... Common it's ground. A, it's a systemic that. problem. In 1978, Father Hesper, who was then President Notre Dame, served on President Carter's Select Committee on Immigration. He said, let's fix this before it becomes militarized. If he were alive today, he'd be, right. he'd be pretty sad. Quick final thought. I don't know you shut down government because of this. That's what I still can't figure out. You're shutting down the government because of this. Now, yesterday it was, well, I never said Mexico was going to pay for the wall. I mean, we've been all, let the government function. What Mike has pointed out is, not just SNAP recipients, but the stores that provide the food are going to begin to get impacted by this. A lot this. of ripple effects. We're going to talk more about it on our podcast. We also have to talk about what's happening at the State House. Two days from now, the governor delivers his State of the State address amidst a lot of talk at the Capitol about how to pay for school safety and higher wages for teachers. House Republicans also unveiled their agenda for 2019 this past week, discussing the state budget and this issue of pay raise for Indiana teachers. Republican lawmakers want to encourage schools to put more money into the classroom and spend less on administrative costs. The new goals, though, would come with no specific legal mandate to do so. 
if we uh, can increase that percentage significantly, this is one way that we can use our current dollars and get more dollars in teachers' hands. Now, do we, are we aware that that comes with challenges? Of course, of course we are. The Indiana Black Legislative Caucus also announced their priorities this past week, including a hate crime law and increased wages for Indiana teachers. As for the governor's proposed budget, it includes $14 million a year for school safety, more than $260 million in extra funding for DCS, and a 2% per year increase in spending for K-12 education. There's also a push by lawmakers and education advocates to get that money for teacher salaries. Trevor Shirley has more. Last fall, Governor Eric Holcomb announced plans to eliminate the Teacher Appreciation Grant, or TAG. Under the new budget proposal, the $30 million assigned to that grant will be repurposed, with $10 million going towards tax credits teachers can use, and the other $20 million into the basic education budget, which the governor hopes school districts pass on to teachers, although there's no mandate they do so. And even if they did, that $20 million, distributed evenly among the state's teachers, would only be about $300 per educator. I am concerned about teacher salary because when you take TAG, which is designated towards specific teacher salaries, and you take that away, we are hoping that districts will pass that money on to teachers. Lawmakers and education advocates have long talked about increasing teacher pay, but a solution has remained elusive. This budget does include an added 2% spending increase on K-12 education for the next two years. Anytime we have an increase of any dollars, we are very happy about that. So this is much better news than we were expecting. But some Democrats say that's not enough. Teachers aren't getting any extra money by this additional 2%. That barely if at all, keeps up with inflation. By swapping the grant for tax credits, the proposal would allow teachers to take up to $500 in tax write-offs for items spent out of pocket. But even some GOP lawmakers say the old grant system was a better way to help educators. I realize the governor keeps the money in education, but I still would like to see it all go straight to the teachers. Already facing pushback, even from his own party on the issue, Governor Holcomb expects to negotiate. Well, I respect their perspectives and their opinions and we're, like I said, a week into this long conversation. That's the beauty of this building. Lots of different opinions, lots of different perspectives. And again, this is just the initial budget proposal. It will likely look much different once the legislative session ends later this spring. Reporting in the State House, I'm Trevor Shirley. Now back to you. All right, so you got the state budget, teacher pay, a lot of talk about money for sports facilities, a bill introduced Friday by one of Curtis Hill's accusers on sexual harassment. There's a lot going on at the State House. There's always a lot going on at the state house, um, but it's also the people's house, and our teachers deserve more money. Uh, this Curtis Hill thing needs to get resolved some way, and I also think we need to look at. I think we still have a 1.8 billion dollar surplus. We'll see sitting how there. all so of we'll the money gets all... divvied up this right. year for sure. Well, I think the thing to focus on is the governor has his priorities straight. Whether it's school safety, education, um, is protecting children and advancing children's futures. Now, the media is focused on the fact that there's no mandate for teacher salary increases. The state can't mandate that. They increase the tuition support, and as the word was said accurately, they hope the school boards will decide to spend it on teachers. They could put new roofs on their schools. And there'll be a it's lot of talk them. about how to get there this year in the session, no doubt. That's true. In one way, too, I mean, we spend tens of millions of dollars on testing in this state. Testing, testing, more testing. Goodness knows all of our youngsters have testing fatigue. 
virtually zero do we spend on teachers to do remediation for that testing. There are ways that we can get creative to support teachers where they need it, which is in their pocketbook. Final thought, Tony? It was a busy first week. Uh, we haven't even shifted into high gear yet. After right. the governor's state of the state, we will. We haven't even talked about the gaming bill. That's going to take up a lot of time. Right. As well. Next week, we will recap the governor's state of the state address right here. Coming up next, we'll hear from the state lawmaker who has now decided to run for mayor of Indianapolis. We'll be back. Also this week, a big name from the State House enters the race for mayor in Indianapolis. Here's Russ McQuaid. Ladies and gentlemen, State Senator Jim Merrick. That's former Mayor Greg Ballard lending his credibility to the man who would like to make Joe Hogsett a one-term mayor. Hogsett used his re-election announcement last month to highlight the advancements he says the city's made since Ballard left office on New Year's Day 2016 including elimination of a $50 million deficit, the launch of a community justice center, the hiring of hundreds of cops, and predicted back-to-back -back years of overall crime reduction. I think the people of Indianapolis recognize, though, this is not a problem that has happened overnight. It's really intergenerational in nature, and it will take some time uh, to, uh, to effectively address. People feel unsafe. It, it, it's, it's theft and it's murder. And, and I think, they won't say it, but I believe there's a lot of morale problems at IMPD. They won't be there when I'm there. They won't be there when I'm there. Hogsett, who ran in 2015 as the public safety candidate, is most vulnerable on the city's rising murder and non-fatal shooting numbers. This unsolved crime rate. It's all about communication. That's what leaders do. Leaders tell a story. And this mayor's not telling the story. Much more on the race for mayor in the weeks and months to come. We're back with this week's winners and losers right after this. Time for this week's winners and losers. Who had the best and worst week in politics? Tony. I'm going to say President Trump was my winner for his first Oval Office address. He did a great job. I think he was effective. And I think he's winning uh, the, the argument right now. Christina. I'm most concerned about everyone going without a paycheck right now in our federal government and suffering from the shutdown. Mike? The winner has to be Trump. I agree with Tony. It was a measured, reasonable speech with a hint of compromise. Losers have to be all the federal workers who are suffering. We haven't seen that compromise yet. Robin? The winners have to be the new members of Congress who are going to take on Donald Trump, who we're still trying to figure out where the money is for the wall. The losers, I think, this week are the federal employees that did not get paid. All right. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus. And listen for more on our podcast. Much more now with our panel on the podcast. We didn't get enough time with you guys. So much to discuss. You guys need more airtime. Oh, yeah. We'll air it out right here. <laughs> this shutdown. How much longer is it going to last, Robin? It's going to last a long time. Till the State of the Union? Beyond? I think, I think it'll last beyond the State of the Union. I mean, and you what know, mean? what it means is that people like Mitch McConnell and, and Caputo and people that have large constituencies that are federal employees are going to get pinched and begin to say to the president, we can't take this in our districts anymore or in our states. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the national emergency funding, some pushback amongst uh, Republicans. But generally on this shutdown fight, do you see parties running to their own camps here? Or will there be compromise common ground? Lindsey Graham had a group, a working group. They weren't able to find a deal. Yeah, the, um, Leader McConnell was at a fundraiser uh, on Wednesday or Thursday night, and he said, I've been criticized for not being more active in trying to get these groups together. 
but you can't get people together who don't want to get together. And he said, so I'd be willing to help if I see any sign from either the Democrats or the president that they want to compromise. And he said he's not going to do a bill unless it's a bill he thinks That's right. Has and he's also support. said, he also said he doesn't like the fact that the president is criticizing Republican members of Congress, the Congress of the Senate, who are saying open the open the government back up. He said they've got no role. They're doing He said I told them to do what they need to do to keep their constituents happy. He said, I'm the guy who decides if something goes to the floor and nothing's going to the floor until there's a compromise. So how will members of Congress from Indiana approach this controversy? Oh, I think with kid gloves. I mean, we have two, I think, that will be quite vocal from central Indiana, northwest Indiana, our, um, our Democrat delegation, who certainly have a stake in what happens and are coming into their own power for the first time in some time. But um, it's been surprisingly quiet, I think. I was impressed that you had... Um, we had both senators yeah. on the show this um, week. But on that yeah. question of a national emergency, it was kind of an interesting response. Uh, Mike Braun said, well, sure, sure, it's an emergency. Do you support then the president declaring a national emergency, we asked him. He said, well, I, I hope it doesn't get to that. That's a question, that's a real difficult question for folks to answer in the Senate because you're talking about, the, and Todd Young made reference to it, the legislative branch has the purse strings. They have, that's their prerogative. Well, that's, and there's a lot of polling, too, where people are just seeing this as one more infusion of unnecessary drama, I think, and they don't know which way it's going to go, so it's hard to take a position for some members. The president said Friday he doesn't want to go that route with the national emergency, at least for now. Right. What does that mean for now? For, well, for now? I, for I, at all? I, we, it looks we'll like it's out, heading right? that way. It's, it is uncharted ground when, when, I mean, national emergencies are declared frequently enough, but not with controversy like this. So that's where you get, you know, folks that are, rightfully so, I think, skittish on whether it's the right thing to do or not. But when you go decades without resolving this problem, and now we're in this uh, mess with, with the shutdown and, and people not, you know, employees not, federal employees not getting paid, you have to look at, uh, you know, alternatives. I think Lindsey Graham said it well, where he, he tried to offer something Democrats aren't going to compromise at all because they really can't give the president a, a, a win. And so you might have to look at this. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's going to happen. I think it's just a matter of selling it more. Uh, and then it could go past the State of the Union. What are the pressure there. points? What, what leads one side or the other to, to, to ultimately give a little bit of this? Their constituents. I was in Washington, Indiana the other night, and a farmer was telling me about price support and supports for what they get, and the office that does that is closed. Right. I mean, so when they start talking about, I can't even get uh, my subsidy money, I think you're going to begin to get those calls to those people you interviewed earlier mm -hmm. saying, come on, move this along. You also have to look at the constitutionality of the whole thing. Some people are questioning the constitutionality of, doing, of Trump doing something, but there are some precedents. Uh, some people are talking about Truman when he nationalized the steel industry in the early 50s. And then you go way back, and even the purchase, Jefferson admitted that the purchase of the Louisiana uh, purchase was unconstitutional. He said, but I look, uh, he said, I consider it to be as a, as a uh, guardian 
buying something on behalf of the ward and then telling them later, I did it for your best interest. Well, and Senator Braun said on that question, who knows, it could go to the courts. Who knows at this point? That's right. And let's think about people's wallets and pocketbooks and checkbooks. You know, they're not getting checks this week, but, you know, last week, something no one's talking about, Las Vegas issued a warning that they don't have enough TSA agents. They had a big convention that was breaking up and they were afraid that their airport was going to be bombarded and they had a wave of those blue shirts calling in ill because they are babysitting and you know doing other odd jobs because they don't have the cash flow coming in and they still have to buy diapers and put food on the table and it's a challenge. So if we go on another week or two, what's going to happen to these families who have no income coming in that are supposed to show up at places. You know, commerce is going to start shutting down if people can't fly and conduct business. Well, we spoke to a TSA worker from Indianapolis who was concerned, of course, about her livelihood, sure. about her colleagues. And I, we all, I think, completely uh, understand that and, and sympathize. There's, there's strong arguments on both sides. On the left, with the media on the left and Democrats, uh, it's a strong case that they're making everything that you guys have said. On the right, you've got President Trump talking about protecting uh, Americans. And I think what the difference is, you don't have enough Republicans also focused on that. And they should be talking about the stats that I uh, read off earlier. You don't earlier. think Republicans and, and uh, are uh, doing enough to support the president's case? I, I always think that. <laughs> I always think they could do more. When you look at at uh, Officer Roland Singh in California, uh, murdered um, by, by an illegal alien, um, leaving a five-month-old boy on Christmas. When you look at, uh, and we're talking about the Colts a lot, Edwin Jackson, let's not forget the linebacker that was killed almost a year ago, and the Uber driver, Jeffrey Monroe, um, by, by an illegal from Guatemala who had been deported twice. These kinds of stories came are there the campaign, all the time. Right. Yeah, right. But they're, they're, they're there all the time. I wrote, I write, and, and Christina does too, columns in the Howie Political Report, and, and there was a column that I dug up from almost two years ago, March of 2017, where I wrote about a, 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 a California woman, a mother, a daughter, sister, Sandra Duran was her name, killed by an illegal immigrant who had been arrested over 20 times, deported five times since 1990. This kind of stuff but that's presuming means she came it touches in. families of, of every color and nationality in this, uh, in, in this country, and it matters to folks. I just think more Republicans need to focus on that because that's what we're talking well, about. Well, Tony, you're a Republican, and I have to challenge that because the statistics are very clear. More people come into this country via airplane travel than over on our, our borders. So when we have people coming in and yet we are not paying TSA agents in the airports, safety is compromised. So I think that, you know, it's it's the classic biblical question of of splitting the baby. So if if this is the wrong way to hold government hostage to ensure safety, particularly when the Coast Guard is not getting paid either, and they're patrolling our borders and our coasts, the lakes. I mean, it, it's a very serious thing, and you're just privileging this land border, and it does not make any strategic sense. No, no, well, we're really not. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. All of those things need to be fixed. Since Trump's been president, we've, we've put $196 million in border security technology. 
Um, we're, we're, we're doing more with drones. We're, we're, we're trying to, we, we've added 10,000 Border Patrol agents. And I guess at the All core question, and, and this has been looked at from both angles, right, is, is what the Trump administration is doing on the border working? Or isn't it? They're declaring it a crisis, perhaps an emergency. Congressman, right now. Congressman Heard, well. Congressman Heard, who is the Republican congressman who represents 42 percent of the American-Mexican border, because he represents a whole southern swath of Texas, he said during his campaign, and he ran on this, he said, "We don't need a wall. We need technology. We need border agents. That's what's going to take care of the problem." There's plenty of folks Heard, that say we need. Heard's a, wall a former too. CIA agent, so he would know that. Okay. Yeah, there's plenty but, of folks. But that you say guys we need had total control. Why didn't you do it, <laughs> Congress? <laughs> Congress. Wait a minute. You had total control. Yeah, no, no. I know. Of both I know. houses. I know, and it goes and back to my complaint from right? earlier. I mean, I, I, you, you, I mean, you did a very good job that aren't, of, uh, that of aren't parsing and saying where we were, but you guys had total control. No, absolutely. And, and didn't do it. And and you can look back at Schumer and and uh, former President Obama and Hillary Clinton. They all talked about border security and building a wall, right? There's plenty of clips out there. Everybody's to blame. I, I, there are clips and clips and clips, and you know, he said, she said, what have you. But common sense tells you, would I rather pay $300 to fly in comfort and be served a Diet Coke to fly into the United States and overstay my visa? You know, I've, or would I rather pay $3,000 to a coyote to, you know, smuggle me across the border. It just doesn't make any sense. To get to Robin's point, um, we were Republicans, my party was also in complete control when we have been racking up annual deficits of over a trillion dollars now too. So uh, Hollingsworth is right, Washington's broken. Dan, I yeah, think, I think I that also there's always macro we all agree right? in yeah. this profession, right? <laughs> right? Let's see what happens when the Mueller thing comes out. Let's see what happens. We've got February. Cohen testifying. We've got right, Cohen testifying, so. and we'll see if the Republican leadership sticks with the president when the facts begin to come out. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> this is the dominating conversation right now. Even in a place like, like Indiana, we're thousands of miles away from, from the U.S.-Mexico border. But it plays well to his rallies. I mean, he's been on, he, look, the guy came down the stairs in Trump Tower, started in day one on Mexicans with all the rhetoric that he could. It plays well for his base. It's it's not, it's, it does play well. Well, no, of course, but it's not just the base. I mean, it, it, it's Americans that are affected by crime, by, by uh, murder, by rapes, all this stuff. And those aren't just his base. There's 63 million people that voted for him. That's not all his base, but it's people that wanted somebody that's going to protect this country and do more for law well, enforcement. Let's talk about immigration in context of Indiana and who is more Hoosier wholesome than our Indiana farmers. And if you talk to our farmers about immigration and who is coming into this country and what we need to do, they'll tell you we need smart solutions. We don't necessarily need a wall. We need to give people a pathway to citizenship and be reasonable and measured and and support our economy. We are a nation of immigrants. Go back to Mike what? Pence's plan of 2006 where he had a path to citizenship in his plan he was crucified by the Wall Street Journal and by the Heritage Foundation. So he dropped it and said, boy, I'm never going to touch that hot stove again. Interesting. Uh, Mike is right about, about Heard from Texas. But look at the, what happened in the last election. Along the border, we won Arizona. We won the Congress. We won the U.S. Senate seat in Arizona, right on the border. Well, obviously, we won California, won that overwhelmingly. New Mexico's seat along the border we won. Heard just barely won in his challenge. It's the people at, the, at that level all knew the president was screaming for a wall and voted for us. So the people that are impacted the most right there 
at ground zero, it supported I our could position. give plenty of examples on their side. And, and it's a lower turnout with, with a non-presidential non year. With a lot of people. There's a record turnout. Voting this is lower than a presidential year, is what I'm saying. Okay, well, then next year we'll win, the, in 20, we'll win the seats again. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about between now and then, no doubt about it. Tony Samuel, Christina Hale, Mike Murphy, <laughs> Robin Winston. Thank you all so much. You can find our podcast now on Spotify as well. And we have a new Twitter handle for InFocus, at InFocus Indiana. So we'll be trying to throw all kinds of content there throw, at our throw, Twitter page. Tweet well. all your barbs at Tony. He's <laughs> <laughs> not even on Twitter. We really yet. want Tony on Twitter. The, the Trump supporter uh, on the panel, the longest serving smart. Trump supporter. He's smart. But he's not Step on Twitter. Up, the irony, right? Social media. Uh, social Step media. Up, man. Right. All right, we'll see. Follow you your president's week. lead. We'll be try on to Twitter. get Tony on Twitter. By the you know, time. come we'll on. I thought he had yeah. mandated that we'll from see. the top. No, no. Also, <laughs> don't forget, you can watch the State of the State address, Fox 59 and CBS 4, on Tuesday night. <laughs>